Don't think government services can take your children from you without due process? Think again. Rachel Bruno gives a frightening account of her battle and unconscionable treatment by child protection services in California, including how the state even forced 13 vaccines into her 20-month-old son with neither her consent or her knowledge. We also discuss the courageous creativity of the Chinese people as they make a very unique protest on the streets of Beijing and other communist-controlled cities. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Wow, I, I think uh, this provides good content. We are in a makeshift temporary studio today. Yeah. And I love theater of the mind. So if you could picture Gary wearing a winter coat because it's cold and there's no, there's no heat <laughs> they on. They don't have the heater yet. running in here yet. That's we, okay, though. We have a special guest today that we will introduce in a little bit. Um, and Who's she wishing is, she brought along yeah, her winter she's jacket. She's not wearing a coat today. And um, I'm wearing a sweatshirt, a hoodie, and that's all I came with. So, But this is good. We do appreciate our host setting us up and allowing us to record after they just made a move from, uh, I don't know, about a mile away, down right? Down the street. Yeah, down the road. Gary, I wanted to start off with a... A venture back into the China cabinet before we spend most of this podcast on the story of our special guest that relates to something we talked about last week. But I want to give a Does set- this include a quiz? Uh, it might. Okay. <laughs> it might. I don't have a quiz question, but sometimes when I'm talking, it, it leads to a question. I'm ready. I'm going to give a setup, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to address the story. But I want you to think about something, because the next time you hear or read someone say, and this is a- this is a bit of a lazy approach, I think, to the political unrest in our country. They say half the country is divided, right? Half the country supports X, the other half supports Y. But I want you to consider something that I believe is a much more accurate assessment of our present condition. I believe that 20%, and we have evidence for it too, 20% of the country is trying to steal from the other 80%. All right, and these robbers aren't just stealing elections, although that is the linchpin to their unlawful power. Your representatives are stealing from you in the halls of the legislature. We've encountered that. Your elected executives and hundreds of thousands of unelected bureaucrats that they appoint are stealing from you in their offices. Judges are stealing life, liberty, and property from the bench. And global businesses who act as willing agents for the government are stealing from you every day in this war against what used to be self-governing citizens. This is why there is a divide. This is why there's mm. tension. And thinking we can vote our way back to freedom that has been stolen from us is, I believe, as naive as one who thinks he can call out to a thief in the night, begging him to please stop and return what he has just taken from your home first under cover of darkness and, more recently, with violence once exposed. So what's the solution? Well, I have in our China cabinet this story that I think provides us a uh, incredible pathway, right? China has operated under totalitarian regime for years, for decades, at least since, when was Mao? 40s? 50s? Right? I, I guess he just... Was it his 70th anniversary? Somebody check me on that. I'm, my my no, numbers no, look at all. Sure. But since Mao, 
So you're familiar with the demonstrations, right, that have been yeah. going on in China over the last couple of weeks. Have you followed the uniquely creative way that they're taking these demonstrations this time? This uh, is the quiz question. There we go. See, I just I just so stumbled I was, onto it. Well, so it's funny. No, not not in particular, but literally at lunch today, we were discussing the apathy of the American people and how we're watching all of these scenes out of Brazil and China with people just, I mean, rising up to defend their liberties here. Mm -hmm. I think in America, perhaps we're still, I don't know, are we still too comfortable, you know, to, to put up that level of a fight? However, to your, to your question, though, have I noticed the creative ways? I don't know. I just, I'm watching the Chinese, like, kick stuff over. Like, I've, that's not the image you typically have of a Chinese person. You know, like like you typically think of them, you know, sort of more, I don't know, refined, reserved. The, these people are done. They are done with it. They're kicking down walls. They're throwing over barricades. And it's it's quite refreshing to watch. Well, there's an element of that that we've never seen before. Obviously, Xi's whole approach, as it is in our country now, he uses censorship as a means to then be able to criminalize the behavior if you say things that are deemed a threat to national security, right? Well, what's interesting in China is that they're actually flooding the streets carrying what? Not placards that say down with Xi. Yeah, blank white pieces of paper that say nothing on them. And yet you have tens of thousands of people with white pieces of paper. In fact, the only one that had something written on it was this. Let me get the quote right. Is that in representation of the uh, the blank sheet that you find in the the vaccination box that's supposed to have all the ingredients, but <laughs> doesn't? It says all it says is intentionally blank. I, I, I don't I don't think they tried that connection, but that's a really good point. Okay, so I'll show you again. Theater of the mind. I'll show my studio friends here. See that little sign there with those. This is Mandarin. You know what it says in Mandarin? No, definitely four, not. Four, four characters in Mandarin, and it says, quote, I didn't say anything, end quote. Mm. Right? So here's a regime that has been stomping on people's liberties for years, and people who have had enough of it, and yet they know that if they just go out with placards that say something that's going to get them into jail and give it, it – it's not that they're not going to avoid a lockdown and a shutdown from the communist regime, but they're looking for creative ways to make it that much harder. And it, and it has made it harder because they can't just – they can't just move them and say, you said something that's in, wow. in a threat to national security. Smart. Very smart and something we can take a lesson from because in a country now where our liberties are being stolen and I don't believe that we can vote our way back. Remember what I said two or three episodes ago? I do not believe— Which shocked me when you said it. Continue. I do not believe that we will ever have—unless there's a fundamental change in the election system that we will ever have a Republican president of the United States again. Hmm. If you see what's happened in Arizona this week, even yesterday, I believe it was, yesterday from when we're recording this— an Obama-appointed judge yeah. <laughs> said that not only must the certification process go through, but the lawyers who filed lawsuits alleging irregularities have now been sanctioned by the judge for interfering with the election process. So here's lawyers who are making legitimate claims about irregularities 
of the certification process and the voting machines, et cetera. And the judge comes and says, if you don't stop doing this, you're going to create a a concern about whether these elections are, are have any integrity, right? The irony. That we're already concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so if we have this— Well, and to go further, I believe the judge also ordered that Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham in particular have to pay attorney's yeah. fees now. I mean, they're they're going all the way with yeah. as much punishment as they can levy. Yeah, and it's, it's clearly politically motivated, has nothing to do with the law, has nothing to do with righteousness and, and equality of opportunity— and tie it now then to the, defense, the quote, Defense of Marriage Act, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll wrap it up in this. That act passed not only with Democrat majority, but also assisted by 12 Republican senators, does nothing to benefit those who are already benefiting under Obergefell, right? right. It, does, it doesn't improve the opportunity for same-sex couples to deem their unions marriage. But what it does is it now adds punishment and the opportunity for those to sue you if you bake a cake that doesn't favor. The the first thing I thought of was the uh, case with the cake baker in Colorado. Like now with this law in place, like I don't think he wins that lawsuit. Yeah. So. Which means religious liberty goes out the window. So So my admonition then to Christians is we are going to have to start learning to live with creative courage right, like the Chinese, in an environment where now Christianity has been deemed criminal. Yep. Right? It's counterculture. Of course, mm-hmm. it's always been counterculture. Yeah. And so we can't rely on the election. Pro- yeah. We've been too passive. Oh, just get the right person in office. This will take care of it. No, we're, we're in an era now where you have to start living according to your belief, and we're going to find out who really believes what they claim to believe. I'm glad you brought that up. I had not noticed the uh, blank boards at all. That is super... I love that. It's inspiring, isn't it? Is. It is. Well, because it makes me think people will always, I think, at the end of the day, well, hopefully, they do. Human history is proven. Will always Freedom will always find an outlet. It will always find a way to rise to the surface. It will always, ultimately, when people will always crave and defend freedom. It's just, again, like I was saying earlier, it saddens me that after everything we've been through here in America with inflation, with so many people hurting, losing their jobs, having been forced out of a job because of the vax, the mandates we've been fighting, the pain at the pump, you know, on and on and on. And America is still not hurting enough yet mm-hmm. to push back against government overreach. And it just it it saddens me as to how much it takes for people to actually respond in defense of liberty. Well, we we have a guest with us today. Uh, her name is Rachel Bruno. Please, I hope I got that right. Is yes, that you right? did. Okay, yes. praise the Lord. Uh, and Rachel spelled <laughs> Rachel spelled like one of my daughters. R a c h e l, which right I deem to be the correct way. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I know I, I met Rachel a couple years ago here in Tennessee, but didn't really know a lot about her story. And it's it's very timely that she's here to speak with us today because this week we put out a story. Here in Tennessee, Department of Child Services, and, and again, we've already heard some feedback from folks calling the governor's office. No, you know, this is misinformation. This isn't happening, whatever. <laughs> yet, yet, we've gotten this information directly from DCS employees, from employees of private contractors that work for DCS and provide services to these children, employees of the Department of Health, and volunteers with CASA who volunteer and advocate. We've So all of this has been pouring in, 
And as we put these posts in our social media channels now, people are commenting, yes, I foster kids here here in Williamson County, by the way, and this happened to my kids. And, and what we reported is that even though in Tennessee we went through special session, went through a great ordeal last year to pass a law that restricts the state from requiring or mandating a shot for COVID, yet a state agency, the Department of Child Services, are – I want to say forcibly, it really is because these children have no other alternatives. They have no other advocate at this point but the state. And whether or not these are babies, you know, born into the system or whether or not these are children being, you know, taken from their families for a variety of reasons, they're being vaxxed. They're being given the COVID shot. And it's illegal. And we're just doing it. And People want to stick their heads in the sand and pretend there's no way the government would do this to me, right? Because it's hard, I think, for many of us to acknowledge. We don't want – it's painful to acknowledge that the government oftentimes is our enemy because we look for solace and protection Mm -hmm. in the government. So, Rachel, I'm glad you're here. You have a story, quite quite an incredible story that I've recently become aware of. You're a California refugee. Yes, I am. One of the good ones. You're here <laughs> yes, fighting. <I'm> here. <laughs> Most of you are. This whole don't California my Tennessee thing, I got to be honest. Every Californian I'm meeting, they're fighters because they've seen how quickly things can be lost Go downhill, and how easily. Yep. So tell us, let's just start. Give us a synopsis of what happened to you just not all that long ago, back in 2015. Right. So 2015, my seven-week-old son... I woke up to him screaming at about four o'clock in the morning. He was in the care of a nanny, an overnight nanny at this point, because I have seizures, I have epilepsy, and one of my main triggers are sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. So if you have a newborn, you are not sleeping. (laughs) So my doctors told me to get help. So I did, and I woke up, and she showed me an empty bottle, and she said, I just fed him. He's really gassy. said, okay, you know, fair enough. Babies get gassy. At this point, I was home alone. My husband was out of state on a business trip. I had a 20-month-old who was sleeping directly across the hallway and a screaming seven-week-old baby. So I told her, you know, he's obviously not settling down. Why don't you just go home and I'll take it from here? I unswaddled him, you know, rashes, drainage, anything that I could think of for a newborn baby. No physical signs whatsoever. Six hours later, nonstop crying, would not nurse, would not nap. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this kid? No, Dr. Google to the rescue. Basically, anything (laughs) could be wrong with them. Everything could be wrong with them. So I call my mom, like, can you please come over here, stay with my older son so that I could take this one to the doctor. Call the doctor. The doctor tells me won't be able to see him till three o'clock this afternoon. Said he's been crying since four o'clock this morning. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. I need to see somebody. Like, then take him to the emergency room. So I'm like, okay. So everybody hop in the car. My mom, my 20-month-old son, my seven-week-old son, and myself. And get there, all he falls asleep in the car, of course. I'm thinking, here I am, overreactive mom, going to the, <laughs> to the emergency room. Get there, doctor checks the vitals, everything seems fine. He falls asleep, right? He's fine. Doctor steps away, walks about 10 feet away. And I'm thinking, great, you know, going to tell me, give the kid Benadryl, go home. He stops right at the door, and he is just staring at my son on that bed. Everybody's in the room, it's quiet. And I'm like, this is weird, you know, what's going on? And about 30 seconds go by, he goes to the bed, and he goes right to his head, right behind his left ear. He says, did you feel this? I'm like, no. So he makes me touch it. You feel that bulge? I'm like, yeah. 
Like that's fluid that's leaking from his brain. Mm. Like, okay, what does that mean? Like it could be spinal cerebral fluid. It can be blood. We need to go do CT scan right now, see what's going on. When he says that, about 10 people rush into that room, Mm -hmm. placing the probes on him, lift up the rails, run to the CT room. Results come back. It was a cranial fracture and an intracerebral blood hemorrhage. So he was bleeding. The fluid Mm -hmm. that's leaking is blood. And he says the brain hates blood. We need to go do emergency surgery right now. Signing all the documents, goes in, and I'm just in shock. Mm. Like, what? Sure. Like, from gassy baby to now my kid Mm. is in brain surgery. Mm -hmm. And I think at that point, the words fracture didn't really register with me. Like, I figured, no, he's a newborn. His brain isn't completely formed yet. Like, one of those flaps pop open, Mm -hmm. bleeding, aneurysm, anything. Yeah, the skull's not, like, fully... uh, Yeah, not formed yet. So... Four hours go by, surgeons come, everything went well, fixed the fracture, drained the blood. Like, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be brain damaged? Like, we really don't know. You know, due to his young age, we don't even know whether he's going to survive the next 48 hours. Mm. So he was in a medically induced coma. And, you know, my mom is there. I'm there. My husband is on an airplane, not knowing what the heck is going on. I tell my friends, go into logistics mode. I obviously wasn't leaving the hospital. My mom and my son go sleep at her house. And a few hours later... I hear the door slide open. It's a police officer with a woman with a clipboard. And they're like, Miss Bruno, can we speak to you? I said, yeah. Mm. And first words out of his mouth, what happened to your son was worse than getting struck in the head by a bullet. Like, okay, what does that wow. mean? Like what? Yeah. Why are you saying <laughs> Why that? Why are you saying that? Yeah. And he's like, we want to help you. you know, will you help us figure out how this happened to your son? So me thinking, of course, you know, you're going to go after the nanny, right? That's the most obvious, right. logical reasoning. So I sit down with them, tell them the whole saga, four o'clock in the morning. And he's asking me, why didn't you call 911? I'm like, because I didn't know what was wrong with him. She told me he was gassy. Why did you wait so long to bring him to the hospital? Because I thought he was gassy. Uh, Why did you bring him to a hospital in Orange County when you live in LA County? This is the children's hospital that I know. Mm -hmm. And the social worker, you know, do you have any other children? I do. What are their names? What are their ages? Tell her. And she says, is it okay if we go see him? My 20-month-old son. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, me thinking I have nothing to hide. These people are here to help me. Tell her, yeah, go ahead. So she leaves at that point. Police officer asks me to wait for the detectives that are on their way. The detectives show up at midnight. So I've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning. It's mm-hmm. now midnight. They interview me until 2 o'clock in the morning. And by this point, you know, my husband has been there. He's also been questioned by the police. And I go to bed. When I wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning... My husband is just staring at me, and my first instinct is to look at the baby. I'm like, he's there, he's alive, what's going on? And he tells me they took David. Mm. Now, da- David is David, seven-week-old. Tw- 20-month-old. Oh, David's was the 20 my grandma. Old. I mean, he was with his grandma. Okay, so they took the older child. They took the older child who was asleep at my mom's house. And I'm like, what? Like, they lied to me. She said they weren't even going to wake him up. Took him under what premise? Under a sibling, because the sibling was in a life-dangering position, right? My seven-week-old who had just had brain surgery. Right. Therefore, the sibling is at risk. At risk of? Of abuse. I see. So what was the amount of time that passed between you hearing from the doctor that there's a cranial fracture to the police showing up at the door and you facing like... Four hours. Wow. It's a lot to process. Yes. And within 12 hours, both my sons were wards of the state. (laughs) So... Okay, so just to make sure, because I, I, I had the advantage of reading all of the press and your background before we yeah. came in here today, but to make sure our audience understands, you went in the hospital for 
whatever caused the cranial fracture of your seven-week-old. Right. But the government came in and took your 20-month-old because right. because they deemed in that short time period that you were responsible for that damage to your seven-week-old. No kind of proceeding, no kind of due process, just they've made that determination. Therefore, we're going to extract your old, older child from your Yep. From your home, okay, exactly. And I watched, uh, actually watched a little bit of the uh, testimony from the CPS worker that made the order for the sheriff's department, right? And um, she acknowledged that she unlawfully mm-hmm. issued a warrantless seizure, seizure, yeah. right? Which they call protective custody, right? On <laughs> with no basis, right? But all of this was allowed to happen, and. In this happening, so now your your children are are taken. Right. They're wards of the state. Right. So now the state's making all of their medical decisions. Exactly. So what happens? So, What's the first thing? Yeah. Yeah. So when they took David, right, my 20-month-old son, we didn't know where he was. So that morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, my husband is there staring mm. at me because social services won't answer their phone. The supervisor won't answer their phone. My son is missing. I call my mom. I'm like, what the heck happened? Like, they showed up here at 2 o'clock in the morning with three police cars. And they came into our house. They did the walkthrough, right? Opened the fridge, mm-hmm. said everything was fine, and then looked at me and said, we're going to take him. And my mom's like, no, you're not. And she says, if you don't give him to us, we're going to arrest you. Now, there were three police officers right there. Nobody said anything. My mom is like, okay, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? She's like, no, he's going to go to foster care. And you're not going to be able to care for him because you're going to have a criminal record. So my mom at that point didn't know what to do. Two o'clock in the morning, nobody's answering their phones, of course. The lawyer is nobody. Mm -hmm. So she just hands him over, and we found out that they took him to the county children's shelter. That's where he spent the night. I had to get a lawyer. That same Mm -hmm. day, I called about 10 different lawyers until I found one who actually knew what CPS was doing. And he told me, come into the office. And he said, you know, I'm like, where is my son and where do I go get him? And he's like, sit down. You have no idea what you're in for. Mm Mm-hmm. How quickly was he brought in for medical services? My son? Yeah. Well, up until this point, I didn't know until we sued them, Gary. I didn't know until two years later. What had happened? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, because <laughs> I saw... Whoa, hang on a minute. Yes. Well, because I saw a new... know it for two years. Yeah. You didn't know anything that happened medically to your son nope. while he was in their care for two years? For a year and a half. Because I saw one of the news headlines from California that was on yeah. your website that you found out they gave your son 13 right. vaccines. Exactly. After we decided to sue but them. But it took you two years to find that. So you had to file a lawsuit to find yes. that out. Yes, because it's you know, you juvenile records. Pass, you know, you got to pass the bill before you find out what's in oh, it. Oh, my yes. god! You got to sue it's before you find out what record. they did. So for their... Privacy, we do not have access to it until they're 18 years old. Privacy of your own child, right. by the way. <laughs> this so the, is getting so the state, worse. Right? When you become a ward of the state yes. by the state's choice, yep. not voluntary, yep. not through any process, no, any due process, yep. the state then decides that they are the ones that can know the private information of your child, but you as the parent yep. do not have access to that quote-unquote private information. Right. But to answer your question, they took him to the county children's shelter at 2 o'clock in the morning. The next day, by 10 a.m., they had already given him the 13 vaccines. By our ten- Ho! <laughs> so we're talking... The first thing... That's the most important thing to them, right? not even 12 hours. No. Let me get him in here and... No warrant. Less up. than 12 hours, yes. the state takes your child, and he now has 13 vaccinations. 13 vaccines. <laughs> and it's not as if he... Was, it's not funny. I know, I know. Well, but it's not to it's cry. Mo- it's, right. But remember, 
again, our audience needs to remember that this is not even the child that was injured. Right. This is a child that has no health issues as far as they that know. That was right? with his grandma. grandma. Right. He was, he was visiting his grandmother sleeping. we got to pull you out of the house. And the first thing we do, even though we're claiming to pull you out of the house for your safety, yeah. is we take you straight for 13 shots. I'm sorry. I'm like. They performed other stuff, you know, right? No. They performed a full skeletal survey oh, on right. him. Mm-hmm. I read this. Which is basically every, a picture of every bone in your body. He's 20 months old. He had just gotten pulled out of his grandma's house with strangers, right? Mm-hmm. Mom and dad nowhere in sight. I saw something about yeah, him being held down. Yes, to he had to be strapped he's, down. Because he's, I'm sure, freaking, freaking out. out. Yeah. Yes. So full skeletal survey. They gave him what they call an anal wink test, mm. which is a probe that goes up a child's anus, just, which is oh. for sexual abuse when there weren't even any allegations of the sexual irony, abuse. right? They sexually abused him in order to find out if someone else had sexually abused him. That's, oh, it's unconscionable. I'm getting angry. I know. So, but again, we didn't find any of this out until we sued them, until our case was closed. You know, so when they took him, we find out where he was. My attorney tells him, you're not getting your kids back. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't do this. He's like, I believe you. It doesn't matter. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? What happened to our constitution? What happened to innocent until proven guilty? What about the nanny? He says, this is family court. They don't follow constitutional law. <laughs> and um, what other law is there? <laughs> All right. So, so what I, I want to I point out, because uh, that I wanted to know that timetable, because we had one of the messages we received on the video that I did yeah. was from an employee of one of our county departments of health. And she stated exactly what you're saying. She said, you know, it's horrible to watch. She said the first thing that these children go through is they're brought to the county health department and they're poked and prodded. She said it's it's so traumatic for the children. Something has to change. And yeah. of course, you know, number one, no one wants to believe that that happens, that the government is doing it to children. Number two, definitely, as I've experienced, people don't want to believe that anything bad happens in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe Californians do <laughs> right, things right. like that, but, in, <laughs> but we don't do things like that. Yeah. In Tennessee, but but that is happening, and your story is corroborating the fact that that is typical protocol. Like right. there is no time wasted in these medical tyrants <sighs> taking your children and doing their own bidding to yep. that child according to whatever procedures they've deemed. Yep. A lot of which comes again from the CDC and the WHO organizations that don't even have any constitutional or lawmaking authority right. over our children. Yeah, and let's talk about. There's an important factor that I think you need to mention as to why they did these 13 shots, because mm-hmm. in reading your articles, your doctor, your own pediatrician, right. was choosing to do the vaccines, which were real vaccines, by the way, not, not, <laughs> yes. not modern not COVID therapy. therapy, but he was slow walking them right. in order to protect your son's right. health, right? right. And it's- Gary, actually, you've... You, yeah, I my, think you've done first, that with your youngest, right? Yeah, we 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 would make very different decisions now. Right. Um, <laughs> our, our third actually is uh, I don't know if I'm giving my way my medical his medical history, <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but, I didn't but mean to draw you into that. No, yeah, he we we chose not to vaccinate yeah. him at all. But our first two, we were educated enough at least to to opt for the delayed schedule. And in fact, um, our pediatrician in Texas at the time promoted that. Mm-hmm. And very much had seen in his practice as a pediatrician that. A, a delayed schedule would at least be somewhat of a preventative uh, from some of the things they were experiencing in terms of vaccine injuries in right. children. Right. And so, Rachel, is that? That's exactly what, what we did. You were on? Yeah, we yeah. talked to our pediatrician about it, and he was fine about it. 
right? And my son actually did have a reaction when he was, I don't know, six months old. He stopped babbling, you know, after one of the second doses. Mm. And that's what made us stop. That's like, you know, we did our research and we asked the doctor, is it okay if we space him out? And he said, yeah, no, that's fine. But... DCS, you know, didn't even bother to call the pediatrician to ask, why is this okay, child? Okay, so another important point. They had no concern over his yep. prior medical history. Exactly. Yep. Nothing. They just looked at a chart and said, yep. we've got to, quote, catch him up with Keep his injections, What was right? the chart? Some sort of state database, oh, like yeah. the vaccination database? Yeah, how many database. vaccines you have to have by such and years. If, and if such and such vaccines weren't reported, yep. he, he got them right him. away. Yep. This, by the way, people need to know that this is what the future of state-run healthcare looks like, too. Yep. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, it was crazy. So my lawyer, you know, telling me I'm not going to get my kids back. This is not constitutional law. And I'm like, what What other law? I'm like, they can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. That's their MO, right? All these state agencies, they say the child's safety mm-hmm. comes first. So if that's their concern, your rights as an individual, their rights as an individual, whatever, that goes out the window. Which, by the way, should be concerning all the more because as we've seen, what the state deems to mm-hmm. be necessary is a moving target, right? Right. right. So who knows in, in 2025 what's going to be necessary medical care yeah. for the state for your children that the Department of Child Services at some point may come take from you, Right. Yep. So I had a 72-hour hearing, what they call the emergency hearing, 72 hours later. And my attorney tells me, you know, your saving grace is that your husband was out of state when this happened. So legally speaking, he wasn't even at the crime scene. We will ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. That way the children don't even risk going into foster care. Because if they go into foster care, they are under two years old and nonverbal. They can be legally adopted by the foster Mm. family. If the case lasts longer than six months. What? Which, yes. of course, is, they Which, probably drag it out exactly. to make it last six months. Yep. So, they so, so due process wards. is not no even complete. Process. No, And Nothing. again, which which goes back to the point that this, who was who was it that told you that family court My lawyer, doesn't follow attorney. constitutional? Yep. That, <laughs> there, there is no entity that is, that is not <laughs> subject to the constitution. Yeah. Who are these people? It's a kangaroo court. Mm-hmm. Kangaroo court, they're above the law. So I go in there. I'm thinking it's going to be at least like Judge Judy, right? I mean, you're there. You know, yeah. all the parties involved are there. I ask you a question. I ask you a question. I get there. The nanny is not there. The police isn't there. The social worker isn't there. The detectives aren't there. The only person on trial is me. And I'm waiting there, you know, asking, waiting for the judge to ask me what happened. Next thing I hear my name is Bruno. Any objections? I said, What? And my attorney says, any objections to the children being placed with their father? No. Mr. Bruno, any objections? No. Okay. Children will be placed with their father. Ms. Bruno, you have 24 hours to vacate your home. You are court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes, individual counseling, and a caseworker will be contacting you regarding visitation. Court is adjourned. So in 15 minutes, they took everything away from me. Based on their opinion, right, their unilateral, not... Not any kind of adjudication, not any opportunity for you to present your testimony, to have your witnesses, to cross-examine their witnesses, right? They unilaterally make a decision and deprive you of your parental rights. Yes. Now, I I, want to ask you a question in a minute, but but before that, I want to make sure that our audience knows. So you, you filed a lawsuit. 
Right. Yeah, you've, you've been to court. All yep. let, let us know quickly the outcome of that, because I, I want to make sure our audience knows that, in, in my view at least, there there was a lot of damage done, right? right? right. But but it seems that some justice was served to right. some degree. I mean, I did get my children back, yeah. right? And my son, the one who suffered the brain injury, he's seven years have old Have you today. been fully, like, did that also equate to your record, everything being fully absolved from any... Well, I was never indicted. I was never charged with anything. I was never indicted anything, but they still take your kids away. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not even that yeah. doesn't even compute right. in my mind. Right. How that's possible. Right. I had a criminal investigation open. It remained open for one year and they threw it out for lack of evidence, right? Because it was basically my word against the nanny's word. So you sued for damages. So I sued for damages. The outcome. We settled in December of twenty eighteen for one point four nine million dollars. Against Good for you. three agencies in California, right? right? Three agencies in California. Yes. Yeah, so is there any lasting Okay, well, da- damage or well, what do you want to go for? Well, well, I just no, I just want to ask. But what was the what was the summation of of the judge's conclusion? Well, as, the basis of the lawsuit yeah. was the Fourth and Fourteenth Amendment violations, right? For the the vaccines for the search and seizure, they mm-hmm. did not have a warrant to take my son, mm. right? When they came in the middle of the night. Uh, wait, oh, wait. Let me let me clarify. <laughs> yes. So you mean that the judge d- determined that these people were subject to the Constitution? <laughs> right. After well, all, well, praise the Lord. Oh man, <laughs> gosh. So, yeah. And, you know, within our lawsuit, we also made certain demands. Was that in state court, by the way, or federal court? It was federal. Court? Yeah. Federal court. It would have to be, obviously, yeah. a constitutional issue. Yeah, because yeah, the way they got away with the vaccinations and the anal wink test and all that medical invasive stuff without a warrant or without a specific warrant, they used what they call a general order, which the judge signs carte blanche and leaves it with the clerk. And if a social worker comes in the middle of the night telling the clerk that there's a child suspicion of child abuse, they need these exams to be performed, that's what they get. And they give it to the doctor and the doctor has to do it. So I'm like, isn't the doctor like, it was a, (laughs) this happened in 2015. They used an order from From 2008. 2008, Right. Yes. I was thinking, (laughs) as you were saying that, I was thinking that I'd read that and I thought, wait, was that another case I read? So it was your case. It was my case. I'm like, the doctor can't even look at the date. Like, doesn't it have to be a current <laughs> order? Yeah. And my attorney, my civil rights attorney, separate from my family court attorney, he said doctors aren't expected to be investigators, right? So if mm-hmm. a social worker tells a doctor, and that's what they lied, that's what they put in the order, saying that there was a suspicion. In- intentionally. Intentionally, yeah. of course. I mean, please. Saying that there was a suspicion that my 20-month-old son, not the seven-week-old son, that the 20-month-old son had been thrown against the wall. Now, this is interesting because although... They'll take the defense that the doctor is not to be an investigator. Mm-hmm. What have the doctors done since 2020, right? <laughs> they try to separate young people from their parents to ask them, have your parents given you the COVID right. jab? Right. Or with transgender, right? They'll, yep. they'll separate them from their parents to ask them invasive, invasion of privacy, yep. invasion of all kinds of all kinds of depravity. Yeah. So in that case, and they always claim, well, the doctor needs to investigate these things. <laughs> and here we have the doctor taking the opposite defense. Not yep. my job. Just yep. sign yeah. off. Yep. In fact, so next week, I'm having a meeting with a few folks about this mature minor doctrine that we're still facing here in Tennessee. You know, last year, former commissioner of health, Lisa Piercy, had appointed, what was her name, uh, Dr. Michelle Fiscus as sort of our chief vaccinator here in Tennessee, who had sent a memo out to physicians and anyone dispensing vaccines in the state 
informing them of Tennessee's mature minor doctrine, which is not a law. It's a court doctrine, which sets the tables to allow physicians to receive consent from 14-year-olds and up without their parents to receive a vaccine. In other words, she she wanted to make sure that doctors knew, you know, if if you come across a teenager and, and they want the vaccine, you don't need their parents' permission. And we are trying to figure out a way to run a bill this year. And God, you would imagine, you would hope that that would pass. But to to protect the, the kids, for one, but to secure parental rights. Yes. I mean, that's what this is all about right. at the end of the day it's is crazy. The, the rights of parents, yep. their children. Yep. And I, there is stuff in legislation, you know, the Child Abuse Act, Child Abuse and Prevention Act, CAPTA, that was signed by Mondale. Then there's ASFA that was signed by Bill Clinton in 1997, which is the one that incentivizes the states to adopt the children through foster care. Mm-hmm. The state gets anywhere between $2,000 to $8,000 a month per child per month. And the child abuse pediatricians, mostly almost every hospital, children's hospital, has a, quote, cap child abuse pediatrician on staff. They receive government grants for having that person on staff. And they're the ones who will write the court report to the judge. Yeah, there's no question that the amount of follow the money that goes on in every medical decision today, everything that you face, the decisions by hospitals, everything we face in COVID from declaring someone to have COVID, putting someone in the hospital, admitting them, sending them home in the first place so they get really sick so that they have to be admitted to the hospital. You get fees for that. You get money for putting them on a ventilator. You get money when they die of or with COVID, right? It's yep. all follow the all money. The money. Yep. So you've been right in the middle of this experience. One of the things I wanted to ask you, have you thought of, had conversation about, or have you seen any state make any sort of moves to mitigate the the situation that you experienced? Well, Donald Trump signed the Family First Act in 2018, which is supposed to kind of replace the Adoptions and Safe Parents Act, ASFA, Mm -hmm. where it diverts that money from the adoption incentive to in-home services. Mm. Okay, so say I was an alcoholic, say I am a drug addict, and I need services, mm-hmm. right? That's what social services. So it's services. not funding taking the kids, right. it's funding helping the family. Exactly. Okay. And they would have to wait at least one year before they can remove the child. Mm-hmm. After providing After providing help, the services. That makes sense. So that would help a lot, right? right? <laughs> Only 19 states have implemented them, has implemented this act. Tennessee is not one of them. Mm. <laughs> I was going to ask that. Is <laughs> Tennessee the one of them? Freedom! <laughs> Kevin, we're, we're red state carrying freedom. <laughs> So, but they have planned, they do have a plan. I think it was from 2020 until 2024 is when they're supposed to implement it. Okay. <laughs> That's really good information. What would be in closing? Number one, I, I want to give you like kind of like a final thought, but mm-hmm. also please make sure, because you've got a book out right. that you've sort of, you know, cataloged this entire yeah. experience. You speak. Yeah. So just make sure you tell our audience where they can find you, how they can get in touch with Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. I mean, I wrote my book. It's called Fractured Hope, Mother's Fight for Justice. It's available on Amazon. I think it's only five bucks right now. So (laughs) get that. Is that Cyber Monday? (laughs) (laughs) So I also have my website, www.rachelbruno.com. And that's R-A-C-H-E-L-B-R-U-N-O. Right. We don't talk about Bruno. Yes. Okay. And final thoughts. I mean, you know, I never would have believed that this could happen in the United States of America. And to a, quote, normal family like myself, you know, anytime I heard of these stories that the children get taken away, 
you assume the family, the parents must have done something really bad, right? Because we don't want to believe it, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way that these people would just take away these kids. So I think a lot, like the Christian community, especially the churches, like we've been brainwashed, we've been lied to for so long about foster care. You know, we have workshops, become a foster parent, Mm -hmm. come help these abused children, come do this, come do that. The question is never asked, should these children have been removed to Mm -hmm. begin with? Right. And I think about what would a social worker tell a potential foster parent about me and about my case? They would tell this baby had a cranial fracture while in the care of his mother. Wow. Will you please help this baby? That has never even crossed my mind. Yes. I mean, all of these very well-meaning people who are taking care of foster children have no idea that these children— Whether the story or the premise of why they're in foster care is, is accurate. Right. That's a heck of a final thought. Yes. <laughs> I'm really messed up, Kevin, over this episode. Yeah. I I think the energy of this episode, thank you, Rachel, for joining no, you're us. You're welcome. Thank um, you for I having our, me. I think our audience will be on fire. Hopefully, it motivates them in our state to contact the governor's office, to contact who was it again that you suggested at the beginning of the episode with regard to. What's going on now, right? We talked about it last week, and you gave doctor? sort of, oh, sort of yeah. a list of— to Say you say, Rachel. Yeah, it? the doctor, Deborah Lowen. She is the actual child abuse pediatrician at Vanderbilt. Yeah, who okay. and, and who actually works with DCS in uh, prescribing the medical yeah. care for these children. Yeah. Yep, that's the action call. We, we've got to—look, we need to do work. The, the trick is, again, I want to make sure—God, if you listen, please don't— if you say this doesn't happen in Tennessee, don't let me hear you say it because I'm coming after you. Like, we cannot have that kind of mentality. The fact is this happens, and so what we ought to be doing, it's not about whether or not this always happens. or ha- It's about making sure that it never happens right. in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And and clearly, with the reports that we're already getting, it, it is happening. And the government has just—that's way too much power you know, to overtake the rights of parents and break up families. And so um, I I would just encourage everyone, get on the phones, get to know your legislators. And and we we need to put the pressure on the legislature to make sure that all these loops are closed and we're protecting parental rights and we're protecting our kids here in the state of Tennessee. Yep. Thumbs up. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, guys. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.